Hey, thank you guys so much for being here. It's good to see all of you this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name's Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'd love to get that opportunity, so please, um, if, if this is your first time hanging out with us, um, man, I'll, I'll, I'll try to make it back to the back of the room as quickly as I can when we're done today. I'd love to meet you. Uh, this is your first time kind of checking out Fusion City Church. We love new people here, so when you come, we get pretty excited about that. And uh, you picked a great day to come. Uh, we were off last week uh, with the hurricane stuff. Not off. We were, we were all in our homes uh, trying to not float away uh, last week uh, with the hurricane. And um, so now everybody's all jacked up and excited because we, we missed a week, and we're, we're like family here. And so when we miss a week of hanging out with our family on a Sunday morning, we get pretty excited about the next opportunity that we get to do that. And so I've been really excited uh, to, to get back here today and to spend some time uh, worshiping and singing and praying uh, with, with you guys this morning. So I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, we're starting a brand new series today uh, just called I Love My Church because I do. I love my church, and one of the things that I hear from, from a lot of you is how much you love this church, too, partly because we do feel like family, uh, friends that have become family in a lot of cases. Some of us have a lot of family here. I have a lot of family here. This is where my family and I and my, my mom and my dad and my, my brother and his wife, like we, we, got, we got a lot of us here because we, this is really a place where we, we feel like family. And one of the things that makes us family is the fact that uh, the things that we agree on. And so what I wanted to do, uh, we were supposed to start last week, what I wanted to do for three weeks that we're now going to do in two weeks is I want to talk about the things that, that we agree on, the things that, that, that centralize our core beliefs as Fusion City Church. Now, if you've been hanging out with us for any amount of time at all, you know that we have three core beliefs that, 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 central, that, center, that centralize everything that we, that we think, everything that we believe, and here they are. We love God, we love people, and we serve the world. Those are the, the three things on which we hang everything here at Fusion City Church. When we're evaluating the things that we do, when we evaluate the programs or the projects that we get involved with, we, we answer these questions. Does it help us better love God? Does it help us better love people? And does it help us better serve the world. Those are the three criteria by which we measure everything here because we believe that that helps keep us in line with what it is that God would have for all of us as Christians, for, as Christ followers. As a matter of fact, Jesus, when he was asked, what is the most important law? What's the biggest thing? Jesus, if you could narrow it down to one thing, if you could just give us the one law that is supreme to every other law, what would it be? The conversation sounded a lot like this. And if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, if you didn't bring your Bibles, or you can follow along with us on version, And we're going to put the words here on the screen behind me as well. But there were some, some, some Jewish leaders of that day that asked Jesus this question. They said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? In other words, what's the best one? What's the biggest one? He said to him, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And then Jesus added an addendum. He said, and there's a second that's like it. It actually flows out of the first. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law 
and the prophets. In other words, Jesus said, if I could summarize the entire law, if I could boil it all down to just two things, this would be the thing. You ready? Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Now, now we, we have one additional thing that we added because you can't love people without serving them, right? So, so here we say that, that the three things that we as a church are going to do, we're going to love God, we're going to love people, and we can't do either of those things without serving the world because God told us to serve people. So if we're going to love God, then we have to do what he says, so therefore we're going to have to serve the world. So our three core tenets here at Fusion City Church are these. We love God, we love people, and we serve the world. Now, when it comes to loving God, that could, that could mean a lot of different things. Because this word love in our English language can be kind of confusing sometimes because I love chocolate. And I love the Carolina Panthers. And I love my wife. And I love my kids. And I love Sundays and I love my church. We can, you can ascribe this term love to lots and lots and lots of different things. And it can mean something different or it can have different connotations or different context depending on what you're saying that you, in fact, love. Do you guys realize how complicated our English language is? I mean, do you, do you, I mean I don't, for, for most of us in here, language, English is probably the only language that we speak. Not all of us speak it well, but it's the one that we speak the the best. Um, I've seen your post on Facebook. Um, But it's a complicated language, this this English that we speak. As a matter of fact, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, myself and and 11 other people went on a trip to the DR. We told you guys a little bit about that. We went to the Dominican Republic with Compassion International, and we did some work there. And um, it's pretty funny because we had long bus rides between all of the places that we were hanging out in the Dominican Republic when we were driving from our hotel, the place that we were going to do ministry that day. We had, you know, between 15 and, and 30 minutes a day, and, and, and then we had to drive from there to dinner. And so we spent a lot of time in the bus, uh, the, the 12 of us, and our translators. Now, obviously, our translators speak both English and Spanish. And so we got to have a lot of interesting conversation with our translators about things in English that they didn't quite understand yet or or words that didn't make any sense to them, or especially like catchphrases or slang that we would use. They, they didn't really pick up on all, any of that. And so they were asking us questions about, you know, the, the English that we speak, because you know, we don't speak just English, we speak bad English. And so we're kind of having to explain to them why we say things some of the ways that we say them. And they were trying to teach us some Spanish, and that didn't go over really well, because, you know, Americans, we, 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 we struggle with English, right? So we, we were struggling with some of that. So but one of the conversations that, that kind of stuck out to me uh, in the week is we're having a conversation with our trip leader. Um, his name was Anthony or Antonio, depending on whether he wanted to call him the American version or whatever, kind of bounced back and forth. So we're having a conversation with Anthony and somebody said something to, to Anthony, but oh man, that was really witty. That thing that you just said, that was really witty. And he was like, what is this witty? He, he didn't understand witty, W-I-T-T-Y, witty. Like, and we're like, well, when you say something that's witty, it's like something that's like it's kind of smart, but it's funny, and you come up with it real quick. Like, so that, that would be kind of the three criteria in order for something to be witty. It has to be quick, has to be smart, and it has to be funny. It's witty. That's, that's what makes up witty. It's a terrible definition, but it's the best we could come up with in the moment. And he says, oh, he says, your pastor, Brian, is he witty? 
and, and several, several of our, our group, they're like, yeah, Brian's witty. And then Shailene, you guys, some of you guys know Shailene. She's over working with our kids today. Um, thank God she's not in here. She might throw something at me. So Shailene says, well, we could say witty. We have another phrase for that in, the, in our church. That we, we, we have another thing. We call him a smart Alec. We'll say Alec. We'll say for the context of church on a Sunday morning that she said Alec. She said, we call him a smart Alec. And he's like, oh, what is this smart? No, he didn't say that. He, he, he understood then that, that there was a little bit of a negative connotation, this, this wittiness that I exude uh, sometimes. All of that to say, we have a lot of words in our English language that can be a bit confusing. And for those of us, if we, if we, just, if we just read Scripture with kind of this, this cursory reading where we don't study it, which is why we committed as a church for 2018, this was going to be a year, not that we just read the Bible, but this was going to be a year that we studied the Bible, that we, that, that we really dove deep as individuals, and we dove deep as connect groups, and we dug deep as a church to better understand what the Bible says. And we've been doing that in our connect groups. And you just heard uh, Melanie come up and talk about student connect groups. We don't just do that in our adult groups. We're doing that in our student groups. But in our adult groups and in our student groups, we're opening the Bible. We're, we're not just reading, but we're, we're discussing what it means and trying to find the deeper understanding and the correct interpretation of what Scripture says. Because if we just read the Bible and we don't take the time to really kind of delve into it, then it's possible, especially in this confusing English language that we all speak, for some things to get lost in translation, much like witty gets translated as smart aleck in a lot of ways, right? Like, it's possible for us to misunderstand and to misinterpret. Now, in my, my younger Christian years, like two years ago, um, <laughs> just kidding, maybe a little younger than that. In, in my younger years, I've, I've been pretty hard on people, even maybe in my mind, because I'm, I'm kind of a nice guy, like Jesus kind of, he, he sanctified and redeemed that part of me, my outward persona. But, but for a long time in my inward persona, when I would see people misquote or hear them misquote scripture or, or hear them use a really in, incorrect interpretation of what the scripture is actually talking about, I had some really negative thoughts in my head. But here's what I've learned to do as Jesus continues to work on me and redeem and sanctify me and he's working on my inner self and making it match up with that outer self that I've gotten pretty good at projecting. Like he, he's, he's working on the inner side to make them kind of line up a little better. I've started to really give people the benefit of the doubt, even when they, they misquote or misinterpret Scripture, because I understand that in our English language, that's really easy to do. It's really easy to read something and to think that it means one thing until you really kind of dig in and, and come to a better understanding of it. Now, one of the verses, one of the many, 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 many verses that gets misused very often is found in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And the reason that this verse gets interpreted or misinterpreted so often is because it can be kind of confusing. But what we just said a few minutes ago was that Jesus told us that the, the main law, like the, the biggest commandment, the greatest commandment is that we are to love God. And Romans 8, 28 talks about what happens when we love God. So if we're trying to figure out what it looks like to love God, Romans 8, 28 gives us some insight, but oftentimes that insight gets misinterpreted. So I wanted to take some time today to explain it. So let's read it together and then we'll spend a little bit of time talking about it. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this. It says, and we know 
We know. We can know. This is something that we can, we can learn this and we can know it. We can have confidence that we know. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So here's the promise. Here's what we can know. We can know that we love God when, when all things work together for good. Now let me ask you a question. Have you ever had anything that didn't seem to work out for good for you? Have you ever had something happen to you and you thought to yourself in that moment, man, that wasn't good. Anybody? Show of hands. How, how, many, how many people are in the room today have ever had something happen and then you thought to yourself, that wasn't good? It's all of us, right? All of us at one time in our lives have had something happen to us and we didn't think, man, that was awesome. So does that mean that we don't love God? Because, because here's, here's the promise. Here's what Paul said. Paul said that for those who love God, all things work out for good. So if things haven't worked out for good, then does that mean that we don't love God? Well, no, of course that's not what it means. But so many times, well, the, this, that verse gets used like that. Oh, see, if you really loved God, then things would be working out for you. You hear some, some false teachers and some TV preachers and some other people that, that they like, to, that like, like to, to perpetrate this idea that the reason that things aren't going good in your life is because you just don't love God enough. And that's just not true. And it's just not right. Because that's not what that verse means. And that's not what that verse says. You see, here's what we have to come to understand as followers of Christ. God's work is always good. Everything that is happening in our world does not happen outside of the sight or understanding or control of God. Everything that is happening is happening according to his purposes. It is the perspective in which we view these events that allow us to know whether or not we love God. Here's what I mean by that. That when we love God, we understand that even something that doesn't work out good for me might be working out good according to his purposes and therefore it is still good regardless of how I view it or not. And the key, the key that unlocks that perspective, the key to understanding that everything that is happening in the scope of humanity at all times, that God is working all of those things according to his plan and according to his purpose. And the only way that I can view, that I can view everything that is happening as good, even when it doesn't feel good in my individual life, is my love for God. Here's the big idea for today. Write this down and we'll spend a little bit more time explaining it. Here it is. It is only when you truly love God that all his works seem good. When we truly love God, then and only then will all his work seem good. 
you see, God's work is always good. It's, it's the seeming part that we have to work on. Because here's the reality. That what's good for God might not be good for me in that moment. Might not appear good for me in that moment. But when we love God, we know that everything that happens is good because it is accomplishing his purposes. You see, we, we can't separate the two parts of Romans 8.28 from one another. That everything will be good when it's according to God's purposes. But if God is only good, listen to me. If God is only good when what's happening to me seems good, then I can't say that I truly love God. It's, it's our love for God. It's our understanding that he is, his ways are higher than our ways and his plans are better than our plans. When we understand that God has a, a higher purpose and a higher calling and a higher plan for everything that's going on, when we begin to understand that, and then our love for him informs our ability then to see even my most difficult circumstances, God is using to work for his good according to his plan and according to his purposes. There's no better Example of this, then Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross is, cross is the greatest example of how God takes a situation that is seemingly horrible. The worst thing that could have ever happened in all of human history, God used to make it the best thing that has ever happened in the scope of human history. And if God could do that for Jesus... And if God could use something like a crucifixion of his son to rescue the world from their sin... If God can take the worst situation and use it for good, could he not on the same level and in a different way take the bad that we perceive in our lives and use it for good? See, our first exposure to this idea of God working all things together for good for those who love him and are according to his purposes, our first exposure to that is the gospel. You and I, have to become aware of our sin and in our sin, our separation from a heavenly father that loves us. The gospel causes us to recognize our need to be saved, to be, to be set free, to be rescued. There's nothing good about needing to be saved. There's nothing good about being in a condition where we're separated from our heavenly father. There's nothing good about that. But God uses the death of his son to set us free from our sin, to set us free from our slavery to, to our sin and give us a new way of thinking and a new way of living, one that is according to God's purposes and his plans. God took the worst thing and he made it the best thing because it was according to his plan and his purpose. And as we develop our love for God, as we learn to, to more completely love our Heavenly Father, then and only then can we view every circumstance that happens as good. That means that even when we have the bad days, and even when things don't go the way that we want them to go, and even when we get the worst news, the worst diagnosis, that we can still believe that God is good. And the only way that we can believe that God is good when our circumstances don't appear to be good is when we love him. Paul kind of further fleshes out this idea in the very next verse, Romans chapter 8, 
verse 29. And he says this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Paul is reminding us that God is always aware of what is going on, that nothing happens outside of God's sight or outside of God's knowledge. God always knows what's going on. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So here we have the example of Jesus, right? We said that the cross, that Jesus dying on the cross is the worst thing that God took and made it the best thing. So in this condition where God is able to use the worst thing and make it the best thing, that we are to be conformed to the image of Jesus that would allow him to trust his father so emphatically that he was willing in his obedience to go to the cross as a sacrifice for the sin of all humanity. That that is the model. That's the example. That is the type of obedience that God desires from us when we truly love him. When we love God, our obedience will begin to match that of our Savior Jesus. That when we love God, when we are being conformed into the image of his son Jesus, that our obedience will follow suit. What, that, what allows you to be obedient to the point of death is your love and trust in your heavenly father. When you love God, you don't have to worry about the outcome because you trust God for the results. That's what Jesus did. And it took him to the cross. And, and, and if that could happen to Jesus, God's own son, why in the world would we expect to live a trouble-free life as believers? See, our circumstances don't have to be good for God to be good. Jesus' circumstances were the worst in human history, and God still used it for the best thing in human history. We're being conformed into the image of his son, where we trust God in the worst, believing in faith that is accomplishing what's best. And that takes a tremendous amount of love for God. That's why we have to devote our lives to, to better and more completely loving our Heavenly Father so that we can more completely trust Him when things go sideways and when life stings, when life hurts. Can we trust Him? Can we say that we love Him? Can we say that even, my, that even when my circumstances don't look how I want them to look, that I still believe that God is using this for his purposes? Or does God cease to be good when my circumstances cease to be good? That is how we know when we love God. When we, when we keep the faith, when we stay the course in the midst of our difficult circumstances and our hard times. Paul goes on to say, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now, we have to understand a little bit here about Jewish culture. Paul is referring here to, to firstborn. So in Jewish culture, the firstborn had all the rights. They got all the good stuff. They got the, the biggest part of the inheritance. They were the family favorite. See, it works differently then than it does now. Now the baby is the favorite, right? Come on, y'all, younger brothers and sisters. You know, the baby's always the favorite. I got a younger brother. I know how it works. Different back then. 
then the firstborn got all the rights. They had all the privilege, all the inheritance. They, they had the best of everything. So here again, Paul is saying that if God would levy upon his son this punishment that would send him to the cross in his obedience for our sin, if God, if that is true of the firstborn, how much more true would it be for those who would come after the first? That's us, by the way. If Jesus is the firstborn and he went to the cross, why in the world would we ever expect a life free from trouble? See, that's, that's why Romans 8.28 doesn't mean that if you love God, everything's going to work out for good according to you, according to you and you're good. Romans 8.28 says that all things are going to work out to, for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. His purpose. It's our ability to understand that God is working out a greater purpose that shows us whether or not we really do or really don't love him. And so if Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, that this had to happen for Jesus, that he had to go to the cross, that he had to give up his life because it wasn't just for one or two, but for many brothers and sisters. That's for all of us who would believe in Jesus and give our life for him, to give our life to him, to follow him as our Lord and as our Savior. Jesus is the firstborn among many. Paul tells us here that, that God has a plan that the act of the firstborn, the act of our Savior Jesus Christ, would provide the salvation for many. That's us. And if his obedience would provide the salvation for many, we too, as we're being conformed to his image, become and be obedient. And this same Jesus who would give his life as an act of obedience for the salvation of mankind when he was asked, what's the most important command? His response was that we are to love God and love people. It is our love of God that makes everything good. Do you want to know if you love God? Here's how you know. Here's how we know if we're loving God well. What kind of impact do, do your negative circumstances have on you? Does it cause you to shut down? Does it cause you to lose faith? Does it cause you to stop trusting God? Does it cause you to wonder if God's even there? Now, I'm not saying that believers will never have doubts because I have doubts from time to time. I wonder what God is up to and I question the decisions that he makes and the, out, and the outline for my life and what he has next and where he's leading and what he's up to. I have those same questions. But ultimately at the end of the day, as I lay my head down and as I pray and as I seek God, here's the thing that, that I have to continually remind myself of is that I know that God loves me I know that God is accomplishing a plan that is higher and better and more complicated and complex on a level that I can't understand. And so if I am going to say that I love God, then I also have to trust that everything that is happening is happening according to his plan and to his purposes. And only then, only when we maintain that perspective can we truly say that we love God. You see, when Jesus gave his answer, to the Jewish leaders of the day, he didn't tell them something they had never heard before. They said, hey, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your mind. And what he was reminding them of was something that they would have said twice a day. In the Old Testament, there was something called, or in the, the Jewish culture in the Old Testament, was something called the Shema. It was something that they would have recited twice a day. It was a saying. They said it twice a day. They would have had this memorized. It would have been something that was very common to them. And this is the very thing that Jesus tells them is the most important command. We find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Let me read it for you. And then we'll talk about it just a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, this is the Shema, the Lord our God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today, today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Here's what Jesus was telling them. If you want to know what the most important command is, if you want to know what the biggest deal is, if there was anything that we're going to hang everything else on, this is it. And you say it twice a day already. That the Lord is one. They were in a culture where they worshiped multiple gods. And that's not something that we know a whole lot about today unless you consider politics, social media, and TV. I think we have a few multiple gods as well if we're not careful. But he's saying we have to remember that there's only one God. And he's the one that deserves our love because of what he's done for us through Jesus, his son. So this Lord that is one, you got to love him and you got to do it with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And you got to do it when you get up in the morning and you got to remind yourself in the middle of the day and you got to talk to your kids about it and you got to do it before you go to bed. Why? Because it's hard for me to remember in the middle of my difficult day when I'm angry at my boss and I'm mad at my kids and I don't want to talk to my wife. I have to remind myself that all of my circumstances and all of my situations and all the things that are happening outside of the way that I want them to happen, that God is still using every circumstance to accomplish his plan. Because his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And if I truly love God, then I have to believe that he is working all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Jesus said, if you want to know what the most important command is, here it is. You got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your strength. And you got to remind yourself of it constantly. Did, did you see it in the verse? When you sit, when you get up, when you walk around, when you lay down, when you get up, when you talk to your children. We just did a whole series about talking to your children about Jesus. Like, this has to be the constant thought in your mind. Why? Because we have bad days all the time. Don't you? I have at least one a week. One day, and I'm like, you know what? I quit. Like, I don't want to do anything. I'm going to lay in the bed. I don't want to do anything. I want to watch SportsCenter and veg out. I don't, I don't want to think about the goodness of God today. I just want to sulk. Anybody? Anybody? All right, good, just me. All right, so, like, like, I have the days where I don't feel like doing anything, and I don't feel. we got to be careful with how we feel, right? I don't feel like God is good. And it's the days where I least feel like God is good that I have to preach this to myself. Hear, O'Brien, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. 
I have to preach that to myself. And you know what happens normally for me? Maybe not for you. It happens to me. Like I, I can get that right in the morning. I have a couple of good hours and then I have a bad like middle of the day. And you know what I need in the middle of the day when my good day goes to bad? I need to remember that the Lord my God is one. And I got to love him with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And then that night when I get home and my wife is nagging because sometimes she ain't perfect. Sometimes she nags. And when she's nagging, you know what I got to remind myself of? I got to love my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. And if I'm going to love God, I got to go love my wife well because I can't love God and have a crappy marriage. You can't do it. If I want to honor God, I want to show him that I love him and trust him in every circumstance. I got to love my wife well when I don't feel like loving my wife well. And you know where I'm going to go for strength when I don't feel like loving my wife well, when I'm angry at my kids and they won't go to bed and they won't listen and they won't do homework? Do you know where I got to go for the source of strength to be able to love them well? I got to go to a God that I believe is always good. And he gave me children that don't listen all the time. And he did that because he's a good God. And he wanted to teach me something about my relationship with him. Hey, Brian, you know how your children mess up all the time? Whew, let me tell you how much you mess up. I'm your heavenly father. Let me talk to you about this parenthood thing. You stink as being a child. So go love your children well because, Brian, I love you well. God said that the relationship between us and Christ is like a bride to a groom. He said, Brian, if you want to know what it looks like for, for, for Jesus to love the church, well, you got to look at how you love your wife. Brian, if you want, if you want to be, if you want to be a, a good participating part of the church, you got, you got to learn how to love your wife well because that's how Christ loved the church. You want to know something about Christ's love for you? It's the same love you're supposed to have for your spouse. So you got to go and love your wife well. I don't feel like loving my wife well. Well, then love me well, and then out of the outflow of that, go and love your wife well. God, how do I do that? How do I love my wife well? Let me, let me remind you one more time before you get ready to lie down. I need you to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. You see, when we view our relationship with our Heavenly Father through that lens, Romans 8, 28 has a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Let me read it for you again. We don't, have to, we don't have to put it back on the screen, but let me read it. So we know that for lo- those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You want to know, you, you know if, if you love God? Here's how you know. Can you view every situation in your life and say, you know what, I may not like it. Man, but it sure is good. Because God's got it. Nothing happens outside of his sight or his control. And if that's true, if nothing happens outside of his sight and he is good, then this is happening inside of his sight and he's still good. I don't ha- it doesn't have to be good for me in order for it to be good for him. And if it's good for him, then eventually it'll be good for me. That's how we know. 
if we're loving God well. You know what I, you know what I want? Here's my vision. Here's, here's, my, here's my dream. I want us to be a church that loves God well. I want us to be a church full of people that, that when bad days happen, that it doesn't derail our faith. And it doesn't make us believe or think that God isn't there, that God doesn't care, that God doesn't love us. I, I want us to be a church full of people like that. Full of people that I know love God because their circumstances don't dictate their love for God. I want us to be a church full of people whose circumstances bear very little weight on their relationship with their Heavenly Father. Because they trust Him in all of them. And they believe that in all circumstances, He's still good. Let me pray for us. Father, it's my hope this morning... God, that you give us a, a better understanding of this, this verse that can be kind of complicated. Father, my, my hope is that we would never believe that bad things are happening in our life because you don't love us or because we don't love you. God, we know that's not true. Father, I hope that today has served as a, as a reminder or an encouragement or maybe for some the first time they've ever heard it, that God, what makes things work out together for good is our love for you. God, that's cause and effect for us. When we love you, we can see all things as good because we believe that you are a good God who gives good gifts to his children whom he loves. Father, would you help us to see it and understand it? But God, more importantly, would you help us to apply it? God, as, as we attack this week, as we go about our daily lives where we uh, live, work, and play, God, would this be an ever-present reminder to us that you are the one true God and we are to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. God, I believe that if we can get that right, that we'll see a radically changed life for ourselves and a radically changed impact into the lives around us. God, would you help us to love you well, help us to love people well. God, help us to serve the world in the way that you would have us to serve it. We thank you, God, for the time that we have together here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen.